Today we're blessed to hear from Pastor Dave, and I just want to say before we have him come up here, I'm not slacking. <laughs> I've had a few weeks here where I've been able to rest my voice and take in a message even to be able to uh, sit with my wife at times, and that's kind of a rare thing when you're a pastor and you're the one always giving the message, and that's been a blessing. I'll be on for about another five weeks straight here, so just uh, at that point, I've appreciated the ability to focus on a variety of other things as well as uh, to not be just constantly uh, running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So at this point, I want to welcome Pastor Dave up. And he's going to continue us here in the book of Mark. And so I'm going to pray with him and hand him the mic and um, let him just bring the word this morning. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Pastor Dave. I thank you for the things that you've been doing in and through him already. We look forward uh, to all that you're doing in and through him and his family. Today as he brings the word, Lord, I pray that you would speak through him. That your spirit would anoint his lips, that you would bless his heart. And that, Lord, he would be a vessel in which the Spirit of God is moving mightily. And I pray for all of our hearts, Lord, that we would be in a posture ready to receive from the Word of God. And we thank you for these things today. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Pastor Russ. What a joy it is. I can't say it enough. This is my favorite day of the week. It truly is. There's an old song by the Antone Indian family. They're... American Indians, and they put together a music group in the 70s, and I saw them perform at my grandparents' little community in southwest Michigan. You guys are going to sleep so much better tonight knowing this, but bear with me. One of their songs was, Oh, what a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. And th th this is it. So, as Pastor Russ said, we have a jam-packed day today, and a lovely song from Convoy. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there, but God willing, we're going to do what they say can't be done, and we're going to get through today's service on a good note, right? Amen? You know what, uh, Tyler, go ahead and start the, the clip here. We're all Jews. How can they live for themselves? Our own people. Move on. They're stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, thieves, adulterers. Or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, 
mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. to follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. Two different pictures there. One of damnation one glorious one of a life being transformed. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, reads this. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, Matthew, later named, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, Matthew, rose and followed Jesus. And as Jesus reclined at the table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So quick self-assessment. Which one struck a chord with you? Matthew or the Pharisee? Just so you know, there's no judgment, no condemnation here, for I've been the Pharisee way too much in my life. But by the grace of God, and by the grace of God only, and his mercy, and his forgiveness, he cut to my heart, and he broke it to become a Matthew. So, thank God that the Holy Spirit turned my heart into a tax collector's heart to realize my desperate need for Jesus. I'm a big words in red guy in my Bible. My Bible has all the, the words that Jesus speaks in red. And there's two words that you see throughout the Gospels. Follow me. 
Now, I've heard it said that when Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't talking about his Twitter account or his Instagram or Snapchat or anything out there where people have followers. Verse 13, it's talking about Jesus. And again, one thing to remember when you are reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus is always on mission. He never does anything on a whim. He never does anything just because he felt like it. It is 100% on mission. So we see, as my childhood youth pastor said a couple weeks ago, Jesus has a large fan base, but not a large follower base. A couple things we see here in verse 13. We're going to move through this quick so we can get the meteor part and still get you guys out at a decent time. But many times we see Jesus choosing to teach seaside, by the sea. Sometimes he was in a boat and was out from the shore a little ways and then he spoke. And some of that was amplification because sound travels better on water. Not that Jesus needed any amplification, though. <laughs> He's God. So when he speaks, everyone in the physical world hears him, as well as everything in the spiritual realm hears him. Jesus called his first four disciples by the sea. Simon and Andrew, James and John, James and John known as the sons of thunder. They're two brothers, extremely angry, volatile guys. At times in my life, I could relate to that. Jesus chose them in spite of what and who they were at the time. And it says here in verse going on that there's a tax booth. It's conveniently located <laughs> for all your taxing needs. Isn't that right? I can just imagine, you know, you're a fisherman and you come in off a hard day's work of catching fish. You're wiped out. And now you get to take your catch and sell it. That's your livelihood. The moment you step off the boat, hey, mighty fine catch you got there. Come on up. You know, you got to give to the bigger guy. Sure would be a shame if someone had to help themselves to your catch for Uncle Caesar. But that's the case. And every single person that gets a paycheck, we experience kind of the same thing. Mighty fine paycheck you got there. Sure would be a shame if someone like Uncle Sam had to come and dip into it. And Jesus meets one of the most hated guys by his own people right where he's at. Because Jesus, again, has a divine appointment. And that is with this tax collector. Later renamed Matthew. 
Verse 14 reads this, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and said to him, Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. If some of you know about tax collecting or toll booth collecting profession back in these times here, then you're in for just a little bit of review. If some of you don't, here's just a quick little rundown. It was one of the most hated professions by the Jewish people because their fellow Jews were not only collecting for the Roman opposition and occupiers, but they were double-dipping and taking more than they should, stealing from their own people. They're doing a double rip-off. Tax collectors, they traveled from door to door collecting land and poll taxes. Whether or not the family could afford them didn't matter if all you had was enough for food. No, 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 pay up. Let's go. Figure out another way to eat. Uncle Caesar and I need what we need. It was very cruel. These toll booth collectors, Jewish by ethnicity, but not usually not full-on practicing Jews. And what I mean going to the local synagogue because they were banned from going to the local synagogue because of what they were. They're on payroll by Herod Antipas. That's the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. So Matthew has that name of his boss going for him against his own people. They were hated by the Jewish religious elites because they also had a comfy lifestyle. And because they were banned from the synagogue, they couldn't give to the synagogue. <laughs> Catch 22. So before we start feeling sorry for Matthew, Levi, let's just remember that he chose this profession. And it paid nicely. And one thing I'm sure he didn't know that he signed up for when he chose this comfy lifestyle of ripping off his own countrymen was that he chose to be disgraced by his family, by other families, by the community, to be banished from the house of God because they were looked at as thieves. Hated social outcasts. And these unlawful taxing methods that Matthew and other Jews chose to do in enriching themselves by stealing from their fellow countrymen, if you will, by their fellow Israelites, these taxing methods were nothing more than just the constant Roman domination and where is our coming Messiah? Where is this king that's going to lift us out of this? Where is he? We're supposed to be God's chosen people, and until John the Baptist, there was 400 years of silence. 
from the last prophet until the New Testament. 400 years of hearing nothing from God. Zero. Jesus seeks out Levi, Matthew, and he says, follow me. Matthew is leaving his comfy lifestyle for the unknown and dangerous future of leaving all to follow this guy that he just experienced forgiveness in. He just experienced love and care and empathy. Someone cared about him. Verse 15, and as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, Jesus does more than just say, Matthew, follow me. He lives life with him. That's the perfect picture of when a repentant sinner turns to Jesus and receives Jesus as their sin bearer, as their savior, as their redeemer, as their brother. Jesus just doesn't save us from our sin and say, all right, well, hey, I wrote you this amazing love letter from me to you. Toss it in the lap. Good luck with that. See you when I call you home. No. Praise God, no. I'm going to be with you every step of the way because you are my sheep. I am your shepherd, and the good shepherd does not lose one sheep. And the good shepherd goes so far ahead of you to make sure that the way for you to follow him is safe and is good and will bring you to the other side safely because you belong to him. Anytime we need help, the Bible says, say help. He's our ever-present help in time of need. Verse 15, as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors, you think the word got out? All those other guys sitting at those toll booths saw what happened to Jesus and Matthew, and they're like, holy smokes, did you see that? Let's go. Let's listen to this guy. He's speaking words of life, and something's going on inside me. I don't understand it, but I know I got to know more. So off they go. And they're sitting there reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Not for life, but it was more like following him for the come and see phase. Jesus infects himself with unclean people. And that word infect, infectious, it's really gotten a bad rap these last two and a half, going on three years now, hasn't it? Tim Hawkins, he's one of our favorite comedians. He talks about, this was pre-COVID, but he had a bit about sanitation, you know, the, the sanitizer liquid that people have. He's like, what kind of message does that say when there's a sanitizing jug right at the front door of a church? Wait, hang on. Good morning. Hey, hang on. Good morning. Oh, you're from Arkansas? <laughs> Good morning. It's a pretty funny bit. I didn't do it justice. 
But the word infectious has really gotten a bad rap. Stay six feet apart. When you read the first chapter of Mark, Jesus intentionally goes to the least of these, to the people who have been deemed worthless. He's healing the sick, infectious disease. He's right there, laying hands on them, casting out demons. He literally touches a man with leprosy. The Jewish leaders are looking at this, and they're like, who is this guy? He is breaking every one of our laws, and then some, and the ones we haven't even made yet, he's breaking those too. They were all about the law, and then some, and they added to the law. And what does the law bring? Johnny, tell me, what does the law bring? When you go and you try and follow the law, the law brings death. A spiritual death. Because there's no way, shape, or form any single one of us can keep any one of the Ten Commandments, even for one hour a day. Ten Commandments aren't there for us to try and follow because we will fail. There is a mirror to show us how far we have fallen from God's perfect standard of perfection, needed to have a relationship with Him. That's what it's there for. And God's the big guy with the big magnifying glass that likes to use the sun and burn his... Creatures call human beings like ants whenever he wants. Is that, isn't that right? Isn't that how some people see it? God's just some big crotchety guy up in heaven with a big magnifying glass, and whenever trouble comes to your life, oh, who am I going to smite today with some problems? <laughs> just because I could. That is not him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. That's God the Father, folks. Jesus heals the paralytic man that we heard from Josh last week. And man, how cool was it that that paralytic man had four Amazing friends that stuck closer to a brother who literally carried their friend to Jesus. Oh, that I can have a tribe like that. Would you carry your friend to Jesus? That hit me last Sunday. It's like, how many people am I going to carry to Jesus? Because they can't make it themselves. We see Jesus willingly going to those who have been labeled unpopular, uncool, unworthy, weak, a freak, ugly, poor, unclean, stupid, worthless, deplorable, and the worst of all, sinner. I know of some
I know of a youth group that had a text thread going on. It was only for the in ones, though. It was only for the cool kids. Kids intentionally got left out. One of those kids isn't even going to youth group anymore. And the reason why is because the ones that were not in it, they weren't worthy. They weren't, they were unpopular. I heard this story about this kid. I believe his name is Brian. He went to a youth group once. I believe the name was Brian. Went to a youth group, no one said a word to him. The youth pastor was all up in the kids that he was already cool and connected with. They went to an amusement park. Brian rode the bus by himself. When they paired up at the park, there was an even number of, or there was an odd number of kids. There was no partner for Brian. He went through the park by himself that day. Met up at the end of the day, sat by himself on the bus ride back. Last time he ever set foot in the church. Many of you may know the name of this guy now. Marilyn Manson. I was going to put a picture of him up there, but I didn't, want him, I didn't want an image of him in God's house. The youth pastor later on was kicking himself, and rightfully so, for letting that opportunity go by. Pray for Marilyn Manson. He has hopefully heard the gospel. I don't know. There are churches that don't preach it. There are youth groups that don't say it. There are youth groups that don't share it. There are all kinds of Christian groups that use the name of Jesus but don't share the love of Jesus. So my thing is, who gets to determine who matters and who doesn't matter? Who gets to determine that? In this passage, the Pharisees are the ones that are saying they get to. And Jesus steps in. And sets the record. We'll get to that, though. Jesus. And praise the Lord that Jesus is the one who gets to decide who's, who matters and who doesn't. But let me just share one thing with you. This rocked me when I heard it. Jesus didn't go to the cross and die for you because you're worthy. He did not go to the cross and die for you because you're worthy of it. It's only because Jesus went to the cross and died. That is what makes you worthy. Jesus was automatically on the outs. These are religious elites. 
He chose the wrong side, according to them. They had heard him speak in the temple at 12 years old, and they were like, whoa, who is this kid? This kid's astounding. And then later on, they found out that he's not hanging with them. He's not dressing like them. He didn't come from a lineage that was like, wow, this guy, okay, yeah, let's pay attention to him. But Jesus has already made a name for himself all the way up to this. Not that he needed to make a name for himself. Verse 16, let's go on here. This is the heart of the passage right here. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciple, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who does he think he is? He just ate and drank himself to Sheol, is what they're saying. The religious elite, they lost their heart for God's people. Their own people, guys. They couldn't stand their own people. They added to the law of God to make it harder for those that they were supposed to serve to know Yahweh, to know God to know the promised coming Messiah that at this point is literally right in their midst. When you lose the heart for God's people, what Jesus said to Peter when he rebuked them, when Peter said, don't go, don't, don't think of going to the cross, Jesus. You, you don't have to die. What does he say in turn to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And these Pharisees have set their things on the things of men, their own, and themselves. They, they fell for Satan's favorite play. Pride and arrogance. And when this happens, and for all these religious leaders, when they make it about themselves, and they make it about the ways of men and not the things of God, their downfall and their destruction is coming, unless if they repent. How many times have we seen big-name leaders in the Christian community take a fall? It is heartbreaking. Repent, come back to your first love. Envy, jealousy, outrage, condemnation from the Pharisees to Jesus, we see this all throughout the Gospels. He's drawing crowds, and all he's doing is making them mad because now their job security is now at risk. He's got a power all of his own. He's welcoming these deemed unpopular, unlovely, worthless people. All that the ones that these same people that they condemned. But now the very Son of God is welcoming them. Healing them from their infirmities, something they couldn't do. Doing it for free? 
Got to grease the skid, pay some moms, pay some other stuff. Us Pharisees, we got to live large. These robes don't make themselves. Why this jealousy? It's demonic. Our war is not against human beings. It's against the spiritual realm, against Satan and his demons and his fallen angels. That's who the war is against. See, these Pharisees, they've had this country club mentality, and now all of a sudden Jesus is coming, and he's messing it all up. He's condemning them when they're the ones doing all the condemning. Now it's falling right back in their laps, and they don't know how to handle this. They were using, and here's the killer, they, these Pharisees and religious leaders, they were using their divine calling from God himself to pick and choose from the people that God called them to go after, pick and choose who is and who isn't worthy of their time of day. What should religious leaders be doing? What should they look like? Showing forgiveness and grace. I have been that Pharisee, condemning. But by the grace and mercy of God, I've been that tax collector receiving mercy and grace from my Savior. Here's a sobering thought. How can someone give and show the forgiveness and grace of Jesus if they haven't yet received and experienced the forgiveness and grace from Jesus? They can't. They don't have that capacity to do so. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that opens their eyes for the need for Jesus. And then the fruits of the Spirit come in. And when someone has received forgiveness of sin, and they've received mercy that they don't deserve and grace that they don't deserve, then it's an easy thing to give to others. And unfortunately, too many times, it's people who claim to love and follow Jesus that willingly withhold forgiveness and grace from others, even in the church. If you have received Jesus, if you have received him, his forgiveness and his grace for you, you belong to him, he's your savior. Now you are to show that same forgiveness and grace to others. 17, as we're closing out here, verse 17. Jesus heard it and he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. Jesus determines who is sick and who is not sick. And every single person that's ever had a breath in this world has been eternally, terminally sick with sin. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand how sick it is? And this I love, guys, and ladies. Jesus doesn't give them the answer that they're demanding. Instead, he answers this. He isn't, you know, they're questioning, why are you doing this? He tells them why he came to earth. It was a divine commission. They get condemned by Jesus' answer. They have zero compassion, zero mercy on those that they've been charged to shepherd. 
And they failed, and they failed miserably. The band, as I close out here, there's a band that I grew up to, a Christian band called Petra. And they had a song called Rose-Colored Stained Glass Windows. This, this describes the Pharisees to a T. Check this out. Another sleepy Sunday, safe within the walls. Outside, a dying world in desperation calls. But no one hears the cries or knows what they're about. The doors are locked within, or is it from without? Out on the doorstep lie the masses in decay. Ignore them long enough, maybe it'll go away. When you have so much you think, you have so much to lose. You think you have no lack when you're really destitute. Looking through rose-colored stained glass windows, never allowing the world to come in. Seeing no evil and feeling no pain. Making the light as it comes from within so dim. The light is so dim. Looking through rose-colored stained glass windows, never allowing the world to come in. Seeing no evil and feeling no pain. Making the light as it comes from within so dim. And then there is one by Wayne Watson, friend of a wounded heart. This was Jesus to those who needed him most. Smile, make him think you're happy. Lie and say that things are fine. And hide that empty longing that you feel. Don't ever show it. Just keep your heart concealed. Why are the days so lonely? I wonder where, where can a heart go free? And who will dry the tears that no one's seen? There must be someone to share your silent dreams. Caught like a leaf in the wind, looking for a friend, where can you turn? Whisper the words of a prayer. You'll find him there, arms open wide, love in his eyes. Joy comes like the morning, and hope deepens as you grow, and peace beyond the reaches of your soul comes blowing through you, for love has made you whole. Once like a leaf in the wind, looking for a friend, where could you turn? You spoke the words of a prayer, and you found him there. Arms open wide, love in his eyes. Jesus, he meets you where you are. Jesus, he heals your secret scars. All the love you're longing for is Jesus, the friend of a wounded heart. Are you hearing the call from God today? It's your call. What will you do? I pray this made sense somehow. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, admit that you're a sinner, acknowledge you've sinned, confess and repent. To believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again from the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan. And then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus is your Savior. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, you will be saved. That's the gospel, folks. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you Thank you for saving me. I was sick with sin. 
I was headed for a Christless eternity in hell. But you chased me down. Your Holy Spirit opened the eyes of my heart from my need for you. And when I cried out, Jesus, I need you, you answered. Thank you. My prayer is that people here today know that they are loved by you. And for those of you that, for those of them that have Jesus as their Savior, that know you as Savior, Lord, they've been bought by you by a precious price, your own life. And you live victoriously today. May they know you in the hope of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.